0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
1: Hello, you're listening to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm your host, Matt Addison, with Paul Gorst, Ian Doyle and David Lynch, all with me this afternoon. Seven Reds players might be away at the World Cup at the moment, but we'll be focusing on events on Merseyside with Julian Ward and then Ian Graham, two men, key behind the scenes at Anfield, being revealed earlier in the week as being out of their way at Liverpool on Thursday. First things first, Gorsty it was a, a shock to hear of, of the departures of both of those people, and seemingly a shock to, to people at Liverpool as well. What have you made of, of this story, and, and how big a story do you think this is potentially?
2: Yeah, it was certainly a shock, wasn't it, to, to people at Liverpool? Uh, <clears throat> I think Adam informed them just before the World Cup started and, and Liverpool have made great efforts to try and get them to reconsider and uh, so it was to no avail. So the news came out yesterday around about lunch didn't it? Um People I've spoken to and, I, and I've know d- d- spoken to a couple of people as well and I think the, the key theme of it is just how surprised everyone is really. Um, you know, people who even kind of worked, in Julian Ward's department have expressed a little bit of shock of of how it all how quickly it's come to pass. He's only been in the role officially since June. You know, we obviously had that soft launch when Michael Edwards kind of took a little, little bit of a step back didn't he? in the January transfer window, and, and Julian Ward was responsible for kicking everything into action and and you know opening his contacts book for Lewis Diaz's transfer and. Um, he's been building up towards this role for for quite some time, pretty much since he became the the, the assistant sporting director in December twenty twenty. So it's all been geared towards eventually him taking on this role and being the man to succeed and and even <clears throat> um, build on the success that Michael Edwards has had in that role. And within six months, we're finding out that you know he, he doesn't fancy it anymore. Um, a key thing is you know he's, he's in his early forties, Julian Ward. He's been at Liverpool for eleven years, so he's been at the club for a quarter of his life. Um, you know, more much more than that uh, uh, of his adult life. Um, and at a club like Liverpool, where the intent, you know, the demands are so intense, and you know, you have to get absolutely everything right in that department to be able to compete the way Liverpool have, particularly over the last five years. Um, it must just take its soul. Um, there's no no two ways about it. So. He, he's, he's, he hasn't got anything lined up. You know, people at the club are adamant that he's not kind of jumping ship to anywhere else or anything like that. He's just, for whatever reason, maybe he is already just been burnt out by, the, by the, um, the demands of the role. It's likely to have been, you know, he's obviously been preparing for it, but now he's actually got the job. You know, some of those eight or nine hour days suddenly become 12 hour days and maybe... With his young family, he's thinking better of it. Uh, I don't know that to to, to be one hundred percent true, but maybe it's not necessarily anything to do with you know one or two other things. We can only speculate, and I'm sure we will on this pod. But um, so many things up in the air at the moment, aren't they, with Liverpool? You know, certainly off the pitch with Ian Graham leaving, Julian Ward's announced that he's leaving, the club is essentially up for sale, aren't they, to the, to the highest bidder at the moment? And then on the pitch. They're staring up at a seven-point gap to the team who were in fourth, and that was something that you would never have thought when the action began in August. So, um, a club who seemed to be in a massive state of flux at the moment.
1: Yeah, there's certainly a lot of changes going on, do I mean, obviously, two key members of staff as I said at the, the start both have, have been at Liverpool pretty much for the whole time that, that FSG have been at Liverpool the two key people behind the scenes in terms of recruitment and, and other stuff as well I mean you'd imagine Liverpool want to, to go down a similar path in terms of the success that they've had with them to this point but they are going to have to do that without sort of two people who've, who've really put that into place it, it it's almost a test really of, of how well those systems work behind the scenes with different people in charge.
3: Well, there's no guarantee they're going to continue that system, because what we've been told is that they're going to have a look at it and see what they want to do, what they're going to do next. And uh, Jurgen Klopp and Billy Hogan are going to be involved in that and deciding what what's the best way forward. It's interesting in the sense that, I mean, let's be honest. Um, I think the sporting director is an unusual one because of the way Liverpool have worked in the last five or six years. Michael Edwards has been become regarded as you know this kind of mythical figure. We never saw much of him. We just knew that he signed, helped sign this player or that player, and get a load of money for this player. And normally, sporting directors, people certainly in England, it's it's still an unusual concept, really, because for most of the time in English football, they never had them. It was uh, the manager just did it all. And, and obviously, in, given the demands of what they've got these days, that's. Pretty unrealistic, so most clubs now have one. So we're still overall getting used to that kind of you know, the sporting director, how important is he in the run of a club? And in terms of the recruitment, it's entirely dependent on the model of each individual club. And that's the interesting question for Liverpool now, certainly supporters is how much of a say, for example, is Jurgen Klopp going to have? He always had the last say on transfers, but the suggestion now would become a lot more involved. And I know that. There are some fans. He'll go back to. I think it was twenty. It was twenty seventeen. Yeah, the summer of twenty seventeen, where Klopp wanted to sign Julian Brandt, wasn't it? And uh, I think it was Edward said, "Look, we've got this guy Mo Salah. He's quite good." And um, to be fair, obviously Klopp knew him. He, then he had a look at it and went, "What can we get him? Yeah, let's go for it." So it's if you remember Brendan Rodgers and the um, recruit. What was it? Transfer committee. Know there's that it never went away, it's always been there. It's always been not necessarily the same people, but the same concept. You just don't give somebody a load of money and say, Go and spend this. Certainly, not a football club that you're spending millions of pounds in one go and and signing a player. Certainly, a big player can affect a club in many ways, so it's always going to be a kind of a a joint decision. But Liverpool, from what we're told, they're having to look at the way things have gone, the way they've done things in the last five, six, seven years, and whether or not that's fit for purpose anymore, and whether or not. That is partly due to the fact that, you know, we know Liverpool spend, what is it, an average of £20 million every transfer window, is it? I think we worked it out the, because of the net spend and they, you know the sell to buy and that kind of thing. I mean, FSG have always made funds available, but perhaps not to the extent of some other clubs. And they've been quite unwilling to go massively to, for argument's sake, to, you know, to speculate to accumulate. So they never really wanted to do that. But, well, apart from at the beginning where they did do it, and it went a bit wrong with some of the signings that they made straight away. Um so, yeah, I do think for Liverpool supporters, that's what the main, not worry, because, I mean, in terms of Julian Ward's only been, I, don't, I know, as course, he said he'd been there for 11 years, been a variety of roles, certainly the long pathways uh, manager. That's the one that, you know, he, he got a lot of respect and a lot of stuff from doing that, did a very good job with that. And that's why he was not so much groomed to be Edward's successor, but certainly to learn from him. Liverpool weren't expecting Edwards to go where you know, but everybody goes at some point. So that kind of helped. And that I think they definitely, of course, you said they weren't expecting Julian Ward to go. That is definitely something that they were not planning for. So that's probably given them an opportunity to then have a look at it and go, well, what are we going to do here going forward? Because it doesn't necessarily have to be the same model that we're doing, that we have been doing, because things have changed. Maybe Liverpool have outgrown the model that they've used, they need to use a different one. And of course, the other thing on top of all of this is, are FSG going to be the people in charge in two months, three months, six months, 12 months? I mean, there's no guarantee that's going to happen, but that tends to always be the case. Just that Liverpool are looking for investment and ownership, possible new, a possible sale, I should say, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to happen anytime soon. So I do think that interesting times, but I wouldn't be massively worried. It's just, you know, people change jobs all the time so you know it's just a matter of who, who are they going to get in next
1: in terms of the the models Lynchy, i mean what, what what sort of would be your your take on that it would seem strange given the, the success that they've had with that model to move away from it and do something else but what sort of other models are there out there i suppose would would be the question
0: well the only other obvious alternative is that the manager has more control and that that's being intimated at the moment that that will be the the knock-on effect of the these this decision being taken is that that Jurgen Klopp will have more control and more say over transfers at at the very least in the short term until perhaps new owners come in and and then things will maybe change they'll impose their own sporting model on things but that that for me is a little bit of a worry I think I I don't know why you would for starters want to move away from a model that's brought you so much success and for which you've been hugely lauded throughout European football and set as an example uh, to other clubs in terms of how you should do recruitment the idea that they're going to move away from that now is is kind of scary and I think you know it'd be easy to just dismiss Julian Ward's departure on its own as just a product of okay you know maybe some of the things that Ghosty touched on earlier in terms of oh okay he's come into the role and and you know it's not really maybe fitted into his life and it's not what he thought it was going to be and therefore he wants to move on but the fact that Ian Graham is going as well suggests that sort of everything is, is not quite right behind the scenes there's a disconnect or maybe people not feeling valued or you know not finding that the work is you know not finding enjoying the work as much because it's you know maybe not being used as much or you know and the the way that that ties into the idea of clock being given more sort of sway in the future is that you think well it it just paints a picture doesn't it of of the analytics guys being dismissed and and not being listened to as much and feeling like they don't have as much power and the manager maybe having more power than he did in the past because of you know, because of the, the victories he's overseen. And uh, I just think that's hugely concerning because I think, I think Liverpool have, you know, for as long as they've got FSG and maybe that will not be very much longer, they need to punch above the weight in the transfer market because they don't spend very much money. So the idea that you leave that process to just one man um, is, is sort of worrying. They, they need to use the numbers and they need to have something up the sleeve to identify these players ahead of other teams. So to not have that would be concerning. And I think... Yeah, the idea that they're going to change the model now, I, I i find it hard to believe, really, to be honest, that I don't know whether it's much that they're going to change the model. It's more that I just can't imagine this sporting director vacancy being filled before new owners come in now. I just think that will be that because I think the idea is to just allow, you know, create as much of a blank canvas as you can now because of these resignations and departures and, and just hand that over to new owners to say, you know, how do you want to do it then? Um, but yeah, if that's the long-term aim and, and Klopp will retain that power when when a new owner comes in. At you know, okay, it might be slightly easier with a little bit more spending power, but I, I just think it's sort of concerning about how Liverpool would compete going forward because, you know, some of the players they've turned up and, and, and some of the transfers they've managed to pull off in recent years are the reason that they've they went from where they were in the table to now sort of back amongst Europe's elite and considered one of the clubs you don't want to draw in the Champions League and, and perennial Premier League challenges. So to just abandon that I think is it's it's concerning from the outside. I'd I'd say that.
3: Do you feel Lynchy as though it's a club in terminal decline? Well, it, d- it doesn't look good, does it?
0: Though I, I know you're joking about that, but again, well, no, you, know, you do. You,
3: I'm yeah, I'm not joking, but you know things do change. I mean, yeah, there th- are there are loads of supporters. There are quite, a, I'll say loads. There are quite a number of supporters who want to, you know, basically hashtag FSG out, right? And if this is part of it, should they really be complaining about it?
0: Well, perhaps not, and but I, I suppose the idea that you abandon one of the things that I think all elements of the support would agree were, were positive, i.e., the, the the analytics element.
3: Well, they're, know, not, I think they're not. They they're, just, they're not getting rid no. of that, are they? They are going to replace Ian Graham. They have made a point of saying that.
0: Well, we'll see, won't we? I, I, because if the sporting model is up for debate, then why would you replace him? Because, because if it, they've the, still
3: got the rest of an, and they've still got an analysis team, haven't they? They still got lots of people there doing that. So yeah, they, but they still if that role not as empowering to... as
0: it was in the past, then why would you come in and take the job? I, I I think if if that role or is not the same or it changes in any way, maybe it doesn't look as attractive to potential you know employees who will come in and fill it. I, I, I you know I just I just think it doesn't look good. Basically, I, I think the whole thing and the whole you know in in a period where there's already turmoil, the idea that Liverpool might be changing the way they do things. The the, the ideal situation and, and I think everyone would agree would be to do things in the similar way in terms of using analytics to run your recruitment department but then maybe just spend a little bit more money you know yeah. fsg they don't don't have to be quite as parsimonious as they have been with with the with the purse strings you, you can loosen things up a little bit and spend a touch more liverpool generate enough money to do that but do it in a smart way but the idea that you know maybe they'll further down the line they'll, they'll spend more money but do it in a in a less smart way is well, I'm, I'm looking at Chelsea's a really good example of how that can be disastrous. I look at their last summer's business. A new owner comes in, splashes the cash, does it in a in a daff way, and you know you look at that squad and it already needs a load of work doing to it, despite 200 million being spent on it in the summer. And um, if Liverpool are going to go down that route, then that's a bit of a worry, I'd say. But you must admit that's kind of the risk
3: that comes with a new owner coming in. They'll obviously want to make put their own stamp on the club, regardless
0: of what FSG right. do now. Yeah, but I'm, we're not we're not even there yet, and this is already ha- this process is already happening. Why why are we making a- the recruitment uh, department worse or or function less well or giving them less power? Why why now?
2: Yeah, I, I can't see a, a scenario where Klopp kind of that completely abandons the sport and director model. It's something he's always worked on. There, you know since Michael Edwards became the first one in 2016 at Liverpool, but he also did it at Dortmund as well, didn't he? You know, so it's it's something he's worked to with great. Great success at two clubs now, really two like very big European clubs. So the idea that he's just going to rip that rip that up and start anew is I, I can't get me yeah, around really. I can't see him doing that. Um, I agree with Lynch to an extent. It is just a case of perhaps Liverpool have got a very well run club. They just perhaps need more investments at key key times.
1: Yeah, I mean I suppose Dory, there is there's a difference between Jurgen Klopp being in sole charge of it and Jurgen Klopp maybe having a little bit more influence than what he's got now. There is kind of a, a middle ground almost, isn't there, between you you stick with the analytics, you maybe invest a little bit more, maybe Jurgen Klopp has a bit more of a say. It's, it doesn't have to be the analytics don't exist anymore and, and the other stuff comes in. It, it it could sort of be somewhere in the middle of those two things almost.
3: Well, the two things that aren't going to change is, the first thing is that no player is going to get sold unless Klopp wants to buy him. And the second one is that FSG aren't just going to send it to anybody. that He can only spend the money that he's got. So... Ultimately, that's that. I think I, I do wonder, with, in terms of Lynch, you worrying, worrying, not worrying, but just a little bit concerned. Is that a fair concern? Concerned, yeah, concerned about the way that the models going It's because it's going to, the thing is, it will change. because It's going to have to change because the people have changed. One thing that we haven't mentioned about Julian Ward is that Mike Gordon obviously has taken a step back so that people around him it, it is different to when he signed up for the job. And I think people we know... And obviously, people who, who take a keen interest in Liverpool know. But for most people, they don't understand just how important Mike Gordon's been in the way things have gone for Liverpool. He's been the main, you know, the the person who's dealt with the club, who's been who's part of FSG. He's he's technically been the chairman, hasn't he? He's been the chairman of the club. He's been essentially been running it. And that's there's, that was always that close relationship between Edwards and. And, uh, and Klopp and Mike Gordon. Julian wolf was part of that as well. Now that Mike Gordon's taken a step back and Billy Hogan, as uh, Ghosty wrote a piece yesterday, he's, he's going to be stepping up and doing a bit more. He's already doing more because already doing more because of the whole takeover thing as well. So it is interesting times. I just maybe concerns the right word in terms of this model, but again, it comes down to the fact Klopp will still be the person having the last say on the player, and FSG will be having the last say on whether you can spend any money or not.
0: The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
1: I suppose the the uncertainty, as well as like you mentioned before, Lynch, it's it's not just a case of having to replace one or two of of these people. When Michael Edwards left, for example, there was an obvious successor that they'd done. It's it's kind of a come out of the blue and b come at the same time as as the FSG sale and and all of that kind of thing. I mean it. I suppose the, the, the biggest concern stems really from the uncertainty rather than the actual individual things. It, it's kind of the the collective. They're all happening at once and they're all happening at a time that is changing anyway.
0: Yeah, and that, it'd be a lot easier to dismiss, wouldn't it, if things were going really well on the pitch, I think. You know, if, if all this uncertainty behind the scenes and Liverpool were were in second place to Manchester City, a couple of points behind them going into this break and, and absolutely flying and you wouldn't have any concerns then, you'd just think, well... Okay, might be a little bit of a distraction, but the, the players are fully focused. But because because things aren't going quite as well, and they've gone into that break with a with a big gap to the top four, and and you know the title race effectively they're already out of it. Um, you know it just it just nags at you that little bit more, and you know especially with it being around recruitment going into January, where I I, I still have said it several times now, I think they should sign a midfielder. I think they desperately need to to sort of turn the fortunes around. Um, the fact that that's you know okay. Julian Ward will still be in place and and, and and as William Graham and a lot of that good work that they've done around recruitment, but just it just makes you feel a little bit more nervous around it doesn't it and, it's, and also the ownership in terms of whether they will you know allow for money to be spent while they're in this process of selling the club so yes it, you know the, the timing of it all is is, is quite concerning and, and and you just don't feel because of the the ownership situation being up in the air that there'll be a quick resolution to it all so yeah, it, it's, it is, it, I think it just all adds together to, to make for a, a bit of a concern in time for Liverpool fans.
1: Just in terms of, of Julian Ward specifically, Gorsley, I mean, it is, it is interesting that it is such a, a short period. He will have done, obviously, one season as, as the sporting director by the time he leaves. But to, to make that decision six months in, obviously been at, at Liverpool longer than that but it, it is interesting he's only only just took the job and, and now decided that he needed a break something something must have changed for him to have, have made that decision
2: Yeah definitely I don't know what I'd said. say said at the top of the pod we don't to be speculating really but maybe there's been a case where he's gone to the owners and said look we need to, to pull our fingers out here in January we need this that and the other and they've said well maybe while we're looking for external investments and a potential outright sale it's just not available maybe that you know we'd only be kind of speculating there as I say but it, it would make sense wouldn't it if he's been told look that, that there's no money for you to bring in the the, the midfielder that Klopp's Klopp wants So Klopp said in the summer didn't he you know it'd be nice if we took more risks and I think that was quite telling from the way he said it he wasn't exactly you know rocking the boat completely but he was gently giving a little bit of a you know leaning on it a little bit wasn't he and um maybe um it's just kind of a bit of a snow snowball effect um it's uh it's interesting but you know um ian graham handed in his notice didn't he over the summer um, and obviously had to work that notice period and he's still working it i think that, you know a lot of people don't really understand kind of what he and his department do um but generally what what they do is assess the data in in the, the scouting and try and find value in the transfer market which is what Liverpool have been so good that haven't he? For, for years um i know he had, he was kind of in te- his work was integral to signing roberto Firmino because no one else was really looking at hoffenheim you know a brazilian number 10 hoffenheim who wasn't exactly prolific and wasn't turning up too many trees um but liverpool saw the value in him brought him to the club and he, he got on to score over 100 goals for liverpool and being a, you know a modern day great so that's kind of what, what they they try to do and, and it's one of the, you know it's a job they've done superbly over over the recent years but um just kind of trying to shed a little bit more light on, on what he does because I imagine you know he's not a household name to most Liverpool fans when it came out yesterday that he was going to be leaving there might have been a little bit of a shrug from from many of a, a supporter but it's um it's important but I mean it's not quite as important to Julian Wardley you know moving on but just so many um questions that need answers and it's a shame that we can't get down to the access to ask asking these questions at the moment isn't it really
1: yeah, it's certainly be interesting to, to see what his take was on it and, and all of, of that sort of stuff. Because it's it's an important time, isn't it, Dougie? We've all sort of mentioned the, the need for, for signings and a midfielder could be transformational in Liverpool's season to try and get back into the top four and all of that sort of stuff. I mean, there's not necessarily a suggestion that that won't happen now because of any of these things, but it does sort of add a little bit more complication to that.
3: I mean, that's probably why they've announced it now. So Jürgen doesn't have to come up, put up the questions from us about it. Eben yeah. will forgotten by the time the Man City come, game comes around. And even then Pep Linders will do the press conference anyway. So, um, so yeah, that's not, even, that's not even like a joke. That's probably could well be a contributory factor for it. You know, I, th- I think to protect, you know, Klopp from the question, from us, basically, asking these kind of things, I mean, we will eventually. But, of course, by then, it's so another month off, isn't it? Three things are going, Liverpool might decided to start playing in a different colour by then, you know, the way, way things are changing. So, we'll have to wait and see. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily think, about back to something that you said before, I don't necessarily think that where Liverpool are on the table, and I know he didn't say this, but just to, to clear it up, is I don't think where Liverpool are on the table has made any difference to any of these decisions, I don't think. I don't think it's had anything to do with it. Um, uh, there are a lot of reasons why Liverpool are where they are on the lead table, but they're still in the last 16 of the Champions League and the last 16 of the of the League Cup and they're still in you know very much in with the shout for the top 4 so it's not quite end of season uh, for Liverpool still 24 league games to go I think so plenty of time but yeah i mean it's not ideal but go back to 2010 now that was a real crisis People are not in a real crisis. This is more of an inconvenience than a crisis, and I think people, again, going back to what Lynch was saying before, I think people are worried because they don't know. It's the uncertainty. It's not the fact that things are changing. It's the fact that they don't know what they're changing to, and that's the uncertainty. That's the that's the, that's the thing that I think is worrying any fans at the moment.
0: I, I think just to come in on that though, I think there is possibly a small link between the sort of what's going on amongst the recruitment staff and and what what has gone before, well, what's happening this season um, in terms of. You know, I look at some of the decisions made in the build-up to this season you know, over a longer period of time. In terms of, you know, I- ignoring that midfield problem that was probably, you know, signposted a long way off. It, you know, would the Jordan Henderson contract? I think I've said this on a podcast before. Would the Jordan Henderson contract have been handed out four, four or five years ago at Liverpool? I, I think not. I, I think if, when it was purely analytics-driven or, or that had much more influence over the decisions that were being made at Liverpool, I'm not sure that that contract would have been handed out. And I, and I think that, that then adds to the, you know, not being able to sell midfielders, not signing midfielders, What something's gone wrong there in the recruitment process but that used to be almost flawless and is added up to create a, a situation whereby, you know, collapse midfielders sort of, collapsed all at once really this season after, you know, hitting the heights last season, It, it, it you know, that, that trouble has been coming for a long time and has suddenly built up and, and sort of exploded this season. And I think that is, you know, part of the, you know, the recruitment staff have got to take some sort of responsibility for that. And maybe they don't, you know, maybe that's where the discord comes is that they, you know, they weren't as, influential in those processes they, they wouldn't have handed out the henderson contract for example or they would have signed x midfielder as an alternative to Chua many but that got overruled. you know the, again i'm speculating but that is you know those situations that surely are contributory factors and you, you've got to think that there is some link between a recruitment staff that maybe hasn't done quite as well in a certain position over a period of time as it is it might have done in the past and whether that is because of disagreements with at mel uh, not melwood at kirby and between different elements of the sporting staff.
3: If, well, if that's the case, surely then fans should be quite pleased at these people leaving.
0: Well, no, well, no, See, because this, what...
3: that is the whole point. We don't know, do we? We don't know. That's the whole well, point. we will we, only, we we'll only know, know a lot. lot. Yeah, we'll know a lot longer down the you know down the road, won't we? Exactly what's happened. But we'll that's scary, the... though,
0: isn't it? That we'll only we'll only find out in the post mortem whether the bad decisions that were made were made by one well, party that, that, or the other.
3: That that's life. That's what happens.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Was
1: it a good that That is indeed life. But uh, I suppose um, 2023, Gorsty, I mean, to to sort of look at a little bit ahead to this, we've we mentioned it's it's important. It's important partially because of, of some of those possible mistakes that Liverpool have, have made in the past. There's, there's never, obviously, an ideal time to try and find a new sporting director and, and try and work out what the best approach is. But it, it does kind of feel like this probably is the, the least ideal of the times when there's so much stuff to be sorted out before you then have to stort, sort out the other stuff as well on top of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, when Liverpool changed the guard in the summer, it, it kind of felt like the ideal time, didn't it? OK, they, they just fell short in the Champions League, they just fallen short in the Premier League, but they were coming off such a strong season where they'd won both domestic cups and gone all the way and nearly won it all. But it felt like it was a nice time to kind of replenish. And Michael Edwards was walking away with his head held high and his reputation enhanced immeasurably from when he first started working at the club. And I felt like the right time. Now, six months into Julian Ward's tenure, is it even six months? Um, Now feels like, you know, there's so much that needs kind of, you know, attention at Liverpool. Not least on the pitch where, as Lynchy says, you know, the, the midfield... Is an issue that's been allowed to stagnate, um, and now I think, to be honest, it, I don't know whether it's me being a little bit naive, but I think the owners have looked at it at that particular area and, and thought, well, you know, to sign, you know, to sign one top quality midfielder is going to cost you anywhere between sixty and one hundred million. Liverpool need two, and, and they might even need three. To be honest, and maybe they thought, well, look. Well, we 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 simply cannot compete with that. We don't have the money to be able to do that. And um, we, me and Dave Parla, had a big piece on on the site this week. And you know, someone was was saying to me, it was even a few months ago. To be fair, that Mike Gordon has been quite privately candid about the challenges that Liverpool face keeping keeping up with City. Um, and um, I think that like, obviously when they go and sign someone like Aylan Harland, you, you've got to hold your hands up and say, "Well, okay, City are able to do that because of the incredible money that, that's behind them and the, the power that they've got." But when they're signing someone like a Kanji, um, that to me was was a more you know a bigger indicator because Guardiola was a little bit concerned that he might have had a bit of a defensive crisis after Nathan Aki went off against Newcastle in that three three draw, when Captain and Hunter was bored and within. The end of the window they'd signed the switzerland international from dortmund for, for 17 million imagine she was on the other foot and clock goes to um is board cap and hand and says look we absolutely need the midfielder here we've got an injury crisis and the end with arthur mellow um that is the difference between the two clubs at the moment and um, it's something that fsg are acutely aware of and perhaps was one of the driving factors behind the decision to put the for sale sign on the shankly gates uh, earlier this month
1: the Blood Red
0: Podcast from the Liverpool
1: Echo. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? The the whole sort of sale and, and all of that sort of stuff. We we don't don't we don't know, do we, do it At the moment, we're kind of speculating around the the reasons and and all of that sort of stuff. But Manchester United, of course, up for for sale as as well this week. That was was announced. I mean, does that mean competition for for investment for Liverpool? Do you think what what sort of impact, if any, will will that have on this FSG sale?
2: Well,
3: yes, there's not often that you get a major sporting institution come on the market and there's now two gone inside two weeks and they just happen to be in the same league, in the same region. You know, a lot, I have American owners, a lot of them, are, it, It's and they're not far apart if we go by the Forbes valuation in terms of how much they're worth. So I think the difference for, between... United and Liverpool at the moment is that you'd have to spend a lot more money on infrastructure at United because Old Trafford, not exactly falling down, but it's not quite the, the jewel in the crown of English football as it was say twenty twenty five years ago, so it does need upgrading. Um, so there'll have to be a bit of money spent on that, but it's not loads if we're being perfectly honest. So, I mean, yeah, it's going to be difficult. Make things more difficult having United for sale because there are only a certain amount of people who can afford to, or, or consortiums or businesses who can afford to spend the money to buy Liverpool or Manchester United you know so automatically it makes it 50% more difficult because there's another one on on, on the market I mean Chelsea went in the summer but that was different because that was against the clock wasn't it because they had to they had, they had to sell by a certain amount of time and that was just obviously Abramovich wouldn't have sold if he didn't have to you know he was forced into doing it so it is unusual that you get one on the market and now, now it's two it's it's going to be hard as well because unlike say with Newcastle, who it's a lot easier to grow Newcastle from where they are because again they don't need the stadium sorted, that's done. Although they can upgrade it if they want, and I think there are some plans. I think that they're gonna they're gonna do that possibly. But you can just invest in the team, and and the, the gap, the more money that they can make from not being in Europe, to getting into the Champions League, and then winning the champ or doing whatever they want to do after that, you know that's a bigger leap than you're ever going to get from Liverpool or United for, for paying the money that you've got now if you pay three and a half million for three and a half billion, if you pay three and a half million you've done well three and a half billion for uh, for Liverpool for example I think was it fSG of basically is't like more than a thousand percent increase or something like that basically on the value well that's not going to happen in the next 12 years yeah. is it, it it's
2: yeah. worth well over ten times what you paid for it yeah yeah so
3: that's not Going to happen in the next 12 years unless something ridiculous happens with inflation which could happen but then of course your pint of milk will cost about 29 pounds so i don't think that's going to really have a massive effect so um now i do think it's going to be difficult because it will be how do you make that final step and we're talking the final step for liverpool now from where they are now is getting on the same level as manchester city and paris Saint Germain, who are state-owned clubs or real madrid and to a lesser extent barcelona who are well, they're kind of, I want to say country-owned, if you see what I mean. Like, they do represent the kind of that, a lot of leeway is given for them financially, let's just say, by their respective regions. Um, they're competing against that. So who's going to be able to afford that? i ask you, like, what kind of people? What kind of people? And, of course, we know exactly what, what everyone's going to say now. And then it's, well, do Liverpool want that kind of owners? And who's making that decision? Is it FSG? They're doing their due diligence, or they just want to make as much money as possible. Technically, I actually don't think that would be the case. And then it's down to, will supporters happily take on people as owners as who are morally questionable, shall we say, overall, in terms of where they're getting their money? If it means that Liverpool can then compete for big names in the transfer market and they can pay their money and go and watch a team that's got a very good chance of winning every single competition and has got very good players playing for them. So, like, what do you want? That's the question for Liverpool supporters now. I, I, they could. They, sorry, sorry, Gus They could very easily get the same oh, again. Someone like FSG, who's going to come in and possibly get spend a bit more money, but it's not going to be absolutely, you know, limitless funds. Would they be happy with that, or do they want someone who, from another, say, a state-owned or or a major company that, from certain countries, were to think, well, hang on, you know, we've just been having a go for years at Manchester City about where they're getting their funds. We've been having a go in the last twelve months about Newcastle United and. You know what's happened up there, their owners should we really be? You know, we been a bit hypocritical here.
2: I, I think there'd be enough of a pushback for uh state ownership like um Newcastle, for example. I think Liverpool's, particularly now with the supporters, but I think there would be enough of a kind of um, you know, criticism of that for it not to pass. Um, I mean, most billionaires somewhere at some point have done something questionable, shall we say, to, to earn the fortune, but there is there is a sliding scale to that, isn't it? Let's be honest. Um, it's not a case of Newcastle's owners who um, have done certain things and you know, probably not the time or place to go into on, on this Liverpool podcast, but um, I don't think... I think some Liverpool fans would just say, I'm not bothered as long as we spend the most money, but I think... The way Liverpool are set up as a kind of fan base, I think there would be enough of a pushback on that.
1: I think as well for, for the sort of morally questionable, as you put it, for, for those sorts of, of buyers, it, it's similar almost in the sense of you might look at it as as say an FSG might not see a, a huge profit margin, they might not see a huge increase. I wonder as well whether sort of the the, the sort of people who are there maybe to, to enhance a, a reputation or, or something along those lines I mean that it's almost similar to, to the finances in that like you can in, you can increase Newcastle a significant amount increasing Liverpool from where they are now to, to back being at Manchester City's level I wonder uh, as well Lynch you that would would kind of appeal to, to that sort of ownership group it, it, it would maybe make more sense to go with a bit more of an underdog to start with and then that sort of in, improvement and, and increases is, is a little bit more obvious yeah I, I i see what you're saying
0: in terms of if you if you're purely doing it as an investment then to to go in at newcastle level makes more sense to go in at liverpool 12 years ago makes more sense because the potential for for you know to sort of well make a thousand percent on your investment is there if you if you start at a lower point and then get yourself ensconced in the top four and, and all the champions league money starts coming in but then I, I do think liverpool won't quite appeal as much as as In terms of a a sports washing project, or to improve your reputation, because I think ultimately the club in itself is too big and has already got, you know, it become it's bigger than any potential owners it will have in in terms reputationally. And therefore, I can't, I you know, you go in at Manchester City for example, and it's almost a blank canvas, a club that's absolutely desperate for some sort of identity and some success. They've had years and years and years been beaten by the near neighbors constantly. They've got this big new stadium that's just ripe for putting advertising all over it. You know, they, they were really primed for it. And I think Newcastle, very similar, been down in the doldrum for years. You know, passionate supporter base, admittedly, and, and they've got that culture there. But, you know, it, it's it's easy to imprint upon them because I think the, you, you're not quite the level of Liverpool in terms of your branding. And the same goes for Manchester United. That's why I, I just don't think they're ideal as sports washing vehicles. And I, I totally agree with what Ghosty says as well. I think at the first sign of sort of unsavory state ownership i think that, that liverpool supporters will be out in numbers to protest as well i think it'd be very difficult and then so if you are using it then to improve your reputation or sports wash, then you're on the back foot from the very first step really and it's it's almost like is it even going to be worth getting it over the line because it just it, i just don't think the potential is there as a sports washing vehicle hopefully anyway because I, w- I wouldn't like to see that obviously I mean the, yeah, the so other so argument is what i kind of what matt was
3: was was internet is that Maybe if they want to change their own reputations, Liverpool would be a very good club because of Liverpool's, you know, the history that they've got behind them, their own kind of, I've written something just earlier about, you know, the soul of the club, you know, because all clubs have got that. But I think Liverpool, along with a couple of other handful of clubs, they make more of it than anybody else. So they've got this kind of image of what being a Liverpool fan should be like, what the club should be like. And whether or not someone coming in goes, I would like that because I would like myself to look like that. You see what I mean? Or... You know, to put a a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? Come on, help me out. You're all journalists. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, Not reputation, something along those lines. You know, it kind of, it's, Well, anyway, whoever's listening, you'll know what I mean. (laughs) Thank God I don't work in a job that involves me dealing with
0: words. Yeah, just open thesaurus.com there, Doyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. that's what I normally
3: do. I normally write it, I don't talk it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean, but I can't think what the word is, but uh, anyway, well,
3: Legitimizing, there you go, got there in the end, the thank you, that's yeah. the right, excellent, I didn't look anybody, I didn't do anything, that was from my own brain.
1: Okay. thank you. Very good. Excellent stuff. Well, lots of questions still, of course, to be answered across at Liverpool. We'll be on top of all of those. Julian Wardy and Graham and the Liverpool and FSG sale as well. All the updates on all of those things on the Echoes website, all the analysis as well across liverpool.com and Blood Red. But for now, I think that will do us for today's podcast. Thanks to you all for joining us. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.